Hey, it's great to have you here at Encounter. Uh, if you're new or you're just visiting, just a huge welcome to you. Uh, and I just hope you can find your home here. Uh, that's our prayer, that for a lot of you, this won't just be a place you can come and visit, it'll be a place you can call home. And uh, I hope you felt hospitable and have had a free coffee and have been looked after. So we, you've come in a great week. We're in the final week of our, of our series, Alter Ego. Alter Ego. And that's spelled A-L-T-A-R because it's all about the altar of God and about how we lay down our ego and identity at the altar of God and actually pick up Christ. We put down ourselves and pick up Christ. Uh, now, if, you've, if you're a visitor here, you know, of course, you've missed the first few, but all the podcasts are going to be up very, very soon. So just go in the normal places you look for podcasts and they'll be up within the week. So that'll be good. Won't they, Tommy? They'll be up. Yep. Now, next week, next week, uh, Jenny mentioned this earlier, we are having a one-off, can't-miss message called The House and the Home. Now, this is something that God's placed on my heart for a few weeks, and I'm just really, really excited. I know Sundays are not always an easy time for people to get here, but if you can, can I just encourage you, move heaven and earth to be here on Sunday. This Sunday is going to be an absolute cracker. I don't want anybody to miss out. So please, if you can, come. Now, just one last thing before we really get into it. Uh, if you've been a part of Alter Ego with us, you may have been reading along with the Version Bible reading plan. So this is a series that we stole from a guy called Craig Rochelle, a pastor in the States. Great guy, a great leader. And he actually also, uh, his company and his church were responsible for the Version Bible app, the most commonly downloaded Bible app in the world today. It's free, it's great, jump on it if you haven't got on it. Uh, so what we've been doing is we've been doing a Bible reading plan together, and I, I hope that's helpful. I'm, I imagine that as I say that, there's a bunch of people going, oh, I kind of haven't done that for a couple of weeks. So that's all right. Don't worry about it. The point is not to get you stressed about what you haven't done. The point is to maybe help you, maybe give a, just a bit of a supercharged, a bit of a boost to your Bible reading. Like maybe this is something that hasn't been common for you, and I hope the Bible reading plan has helped you uh, get into the swing of Bible reading. Or maybe make it a bit more of a regular thing or more of an easy thing for you. So that's one of the reasons we did it. But the other reason is because we're all doing it together. And because there's this great comment section at the end where it invites you just to reflect on what you said, just put a couple of sentences together. And I just love seeing people going back and forth and reflecting on things and then commenting and encouraging each other. And that's been a really great space as well. And if you don't have that kind of space in your life, we try and provide digital spaces for it. But it's better done in the flesh. It's better done like this. So if you'd be interested in joining one of our life groups, come and have a chat to me. That's where we do life together. It's where we go deep. One of our core values is to be real with each other. And uh, that's where we really live that out. We get into a life group and just do life on life, honest discussion with each other and go deeper in our faith. And it's a great, great thing. But alter ego, alter ego. So we're in week four, the final week. The first week, we talked about our feelings of inadequacy Everyone felt really good after that one. We talked about how inadequate we are. And we realized that God wants to do so much more in us than we think, and it's actually less about us than we think. And then the Reverend Bryant Jones, the big man himself, came in week two, and he preached a cracker of a message about watching out for the sneaky atmosphere and about our need for control and about needing to lay that down. And then my wife, the human hurricane, the general, Pastor Jen, came and preached an amazing message last week about laying down our right to be offended, to pick up forgiveness and the power of forgiveness. And I know a lot of people were set free because of forgiveness last week, amen? It was a good, good message and a good week. And this week, 
We get to lay down our longing for approval. Our longing for approval. Some of you may struggle with this. I think it's pretty common for people to struggle with. Now, I'm, of course, a pastor, an ordained minister, a man of a certain age, a captain of industry, if you will. I, I imagine mere mortals struggle with such things. I, of course, don't struggle with longing for approval. Do you, do you think that's true? Tell me you think that's true. <laughs> it's, I mean, obviously, that's not true, right? I'm just kidding. But the, it's probably, in fact, so patently false that the biggest trouble I had this week was working out which stories of my own insecurities to share. Like, there were just too many. I'm like, oh, let me go through this filing cabinet. So let me give you just a couple of quick ones, okay? So most of these stories are about me trying to impress people and failing, which is, you know, life. Life is what I call it. So the first one that I thought of was last year, I was privileged enough to go to Japan with my family. And I used to live in Japan, lived there, worked there. While I was over there, learned English. Uh, learned English, yeah, probably. <laughs> Still working on that one. Learned Japanese. And I thought I was pretty great came back and I thought, oh, I haven't learned Japanese in ages, but you get back in the country and you start hearing it and you kind of get back in the flow of it. And so I was at this shop and uh, the lady came over and she's like, oh, what do you want? And she's asking me in Japanese. And I started speaking to her in Japanese, thinking, this is pretty good. Check this out. Talking in Japanese. And she just stops me and says, oh, please speak English. Please. Like, my Japanese was so bad that the Japanese were like, can I please speak in your language instead? I don't, I don't even appreciate the gesture you're trying to make here. It is just so bad and I can't deal with it. So I slunk away with my tail between my legs and just tried it at the next shop. Uh, or maybe, here's one of my favourites. I have this history of going to conferences or seminars with quite well-known Christian leaders and asking dumbass questions that I think are quite intelligent, but nobody else in the room does. So... A couple of examples, Bill Hybels, very well-known Christian leader. I was at a conference he was at, and I raised my hand and asked him a question. And he, just, he just gave me this look like, uh, okay, and just answered it as if, you know, you might be the dumbest person in the room, but I don't want to say that out loud. I'm trying to say something, and I'm like, check this out, fellow leaders around me. Watch Bill notice me. Bill noticed me, all right, yeah, but not in the way I wanted Another guy, Erwin McManus, very well-known church leader. Like, these are not small church leaders. These are very, very well-known church leaders. I asked Erwin a question. I really thought this was a good question, and Erwin, to his credit, was very gracious at when he answered and didn't make it out like I was stupid. But it was the mutterings of the people around me that gave it away. Where people just like, oh. you, know, you hear that groan, like, that was the question, really? That was the best he could do? But my favorite comes from a guy called Sam DeMaro. Now, we've got a couple of Hillsong folk with us now. Sam DeMaro. Is, uh, is the Hills campus. So he oversees the, the sort of central Hillsong campus. And he also oversees South Australia. So as part of the Hillsong network, we know Sam fairly well. But before I knew him fairly well, I was in a seminar with him and I put up my hand and I asked him what I thought was a cracker of a question. It's like, can you just tell me about how this works within your church? And he just pauses and he stares at me and he says, I've already answered that question. <laughs> and then he turned and just kept talking. I'm like, oh shattering. All these times I'm like, watch me stand out from the crowd. And every time, you know, be careful what you wish for, because I stood out from the crowd. Another time, Charlie, this is more recently, Charlie, my son, he comes home from football. Now, in this case, Victoria had taken him to footy, one of our great interns, had taken him to footy. And, and we're at home getting stuff prepped for church. And they come back and he comes running. He's like, Dad, Dad, I scored seven goals of footy today. I was like, bro, that's amazing. Whoa, I'm thinking about it, I'm like, 
they moved you guys around positions though so you were in the forward lines for a maximum of two quarters in junior footy that's almost impossible and so I kind of look at Victoria over Charlie's head and she's just <laughs> just shaking her head and looking at me like, buddy, did you really score seven goals? And he looks a bit ashamed. He's like, oh, no, I didn't. He's like, he's only seven years old. And I'm like, how many goals did you kick? And he's like, oh, only two. I'm like, well, that's as many as I kicked in every footy game I've ever played combined. <laughs> so I'm not ashamed of you. And he's like, oh, I just thought, I just thought you wouldn't be proud of me if I didn't do better than I did last week. That's what my little boy said to me. And I said to him, well, buddy, you're right. Yeah. I'm, I, you should. No, no, of course I didn't. Of course I didn't. Of course I didn't. I told him that he's enough. He's enough. But in one way or another, we are all working for someone's approval. So my question for you today in Counter Church, who are you really trying to impress? Who are you really trying to impress? Let's talk about social media for a minute. Because there's nowhere else where people are trying to impress each other more than social media. There may be nothing more to say that hasn't already been said. But your social media feed and mine are largely full of lies. Amen? Right? We put stuff up there that is not true. My Instagram feed has no photos of me yelling at my children. None. My Facebook profile doesn't show interest as binge eating salt and vinegar chips. Okay? I haven't put that on there. Happens to be true. Haven't put it on there. It's the balsamic vinegar. Like, it just makes it the next one is better. ah, Honestly, I think it's like cocaine. (laughs) But in fact, rather than being honest, this is what we do. We curate. Has everyone heard this term? We curate our social media feeds so the whole feed looks better. I don't know if anyone remembers that people back in the day used to put hashtag no filter a lot. That's fallen by the wayside. We don't need it anymore. What we've got instead of hashtag no filter is just good lenses and shadow and angles to make everyone look incredibly attractive. And we just, we're just doing the best we can to make it up. So probably, Jess, probably from this angle, if you take a shot, sort of like a real teaching shot, is that good? Like that, yeah. So just later when I'm doing the Bible reading, just get the right angle. Who are you really trying to impress? I want to I wanna talk about FOMO for a second. I don't know if people are familiar with the term FOMO, fear of missing out. It used to be called the grass is greener on the other side. It means the same thing. It effectively means no matter what we're doing, the next thing happening on the other side is better. Exhibit A. This is peak FOMO. Now, I, this, is, this is kind of funny, probably not a photo you see in church heaps. <laughs> but this beautiful woman in an exotic location is peak FOMO. Because everything about this photo, I want you to notice it carefully, everything about it either screams, you wish you were me or you wish you had me. Everything. The bathers that are chosen, the location that's chosen, the angle, probably to the right here, there's like 10 bags piled up and towels just sort of shoved to the side, but they've cropped that out of the photo. Everything about it, even like the sort of windswept nature of the hair, the super casual nature of the arm, everything has been carefully carefully put forward so that you feel jealous. Now, this isn't meant to be a morality comment, though I have many strong opinions on that too. This is meant to be a FOMO comment. Because when you see photos like this, or at least when they pop up on my Instagram feed, they usually have something underneath that says, like, TBT, or take me back, which means nobody's just saying, hey, this is me on holidays, enjoying myself. They're saying, here is the very best photo I've ever found of myself, and right now, 
I want to put it into your timeline to make sure that you either feel jealous or sexually attracted to me. Either way, I want you to feel those feelings, that longing for approval. And so soon, and all they want is that little, that little double tap. They want that Instagram love. They want that. They want that. That's all they want. And don't think they're not refreshing their phone every two minutes to see how many likes they get. Oh, is this more than I got last time? Is this more than the most I've ever got? You know it because you're guilty of it too. Even if you haven't put up something like this, I hope you haven't. But even if you haven't, you're guilty of it too, and so am I. Who are you really trying to impress? Who are we really trying to impress? Let's get into the Word and unpack what what God wants to say about this today. And we're doing that through Genesis. And thanks, Georgie, for reading that so beautifully earlier. Now, I just want to touch on Leah. Leah is the main character in the story we are hearing today. In Jacob and Genesis, Leah was the first wife of the patriarch Jacob. You hear about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. These are sort of the the key figures in the history of Israel, and they kickstart Israel. Jacob has these 12 sons. The 12 sons become the 12 tribes of Israel, and from them a nation is born, fulfilling the covenant that the Lord made with Abraham. The first thing we hear about Leah, though, is an unflattering comparison, right? So this is before, before the passage we're about to get to, a bit of context. The first thing we hear is an unflattering comparison. She's compared to her sister, and it says Rachel had a beautiful figure, but Leah had weak eyes. I don't appreciate that on behalf of Leah. Weak-eyed people can be very attractive, in theory. Leah had weak eyes and, and Rachel had a lovely figure. We get a sense already that Leah is being set up to fail, don't we? And her husband, Jacob, who's one of the Bible's premier tricksters, he's actually not a great dude, but God uses him so powerfully. He's got a powerful story because of that. Jacob is tricked into marrying Leah instead of, his, instead of her sister, Rachel, who he loves. And so poor Leah gets married off in a way that she thinks will benefit her. She thinks she's going to be benefited by being married to this sort of wealthy, sort of like farming mogul in a way, um, that she thinks is going to benefit her, but she's married off to a man that doesn't love her. And so for the next decade or so, this defines Leah's existence. Being stuck in a loveless marriage defines who she is because she has this longing for approval in her life. So when we get into the passage that we heard from today, which will be up on the screen behind me, the very first verse we read, verse 31, we see this. When the Lord saw that Leah was not loved, was unloved, he enabled her to have children. For some of you, all you need to hear today is this. The situation you are in right now, God has not forgotten you. God sees you. You are not unloved. You are not unloved. God sees you and loves you, and that's what you need to take away. That's a word for someone in this room today. You have not been forgotten. God is with you. But Leah looks in the wrong place for approval. So God is blessing her anyway, but Leah looks in the wrong place for approval. Now, what happens with all of this is, as he enables her to have children. Rachel can't conceive, which brings this tension between the sisters who are both married to the same guy. Who would have thought that would go wrong, right? Like, how could that possibly go wrong? Two sisters married to the same man. It does. Amazing. Leah has her first big win. She scores the first points for the unloved wife. She gives birth to Jacob's first child, his first son, and names him Reuben, 
which means behold a son. This is really kind of rubbing it in, isn't it? Like, hey, I've had a son. What did you name him? Behold a son. <laughs> Check it. Like, okay, we get it. Yeah, you had a boy. So Leah has the right mentality about this kid. Now catch this, catch this. Leah has the right mentality. She says, the Lord has blessed me with this kid. But what does she then do? She has the right mentality, but the wrong motivation. She turns around and says, maybe now, maybe now my husband will love me. Because Leah, even knowing that Reuben is a blessing from God, can't live out of that. She's looking for the approval of her husband. And then she conceives again, and she has another son. And she calls this one Simeon, and Simeon means heard, as in I have been heard by God. And she says again that God understands her needs, that she isn't forgotten, that God knows that she isn't isn't loved. And so he has blessed her with a son. She's looking for approval, and she gets it internally, like this sense that, yes, 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 God is blessing me, God is blessing me, but why? She turns around and she's looking for approval again and again. She's not wrong, but she keeps looking for love in all the wrong places. She thinks that God's major concern is whether other people make her feel approved. That's not what God's interested in. She's still in that mindset. I want to feel approved. God, my husband isn't treating me the way I want him to. God, my boss isn't giving me the opportunities I want. God, I feel like I'm on the outer of my friendship circle. Where are you? Show me I'm loved. And God blesses you in that. God cares about your relationships. God cares about the important things in your life. But it's not the central thing. Don't lose, don't lose focus of what the motivation is meant to be. God's trying to do something else in your priorities. Who are you really trying to impress? Let's keep going. Leah has another son. So, you know, not totally unloved. Has a third son, Levi, which means joined to or, atta- or attached to. Now, this could be amazing. Levi ends up being the the forerunner of all the priests of Israel. And so he ends up being joined to God. But that's not what Leah is saying. This is where it gets, it just gets so sad. Her motivations get even worse. We don't even hear a little shout out to God. The NIV translation I've got here puts it this way. Now my husband will become attached to me. I just think, oh, Leah, you're better than this. She's totally lost perspective. I just want to encourage you, it's, it's not the fact that she wants to be loved by her husband. Okay, that's a good motivation. It's that she's letting it define her as a person. And she's going to this well again and again, and she's saying, it's dry, it's dry, but I'm going to keep drinking the dust and hope it turns to water. What do they call it when you do the same thing again and again, expecting a different result? The definition of insanity. That's Leah. And so we get to verse 35, and Leah becomes pregnant again. And I don't know if you've ever been around somebody or known a family where they keep getting pregnant. And, and I'm deadly serious here. And you think, oh, man, like you, you just need to make better choices. You've got to know this isn't the best choice for you to get pregnant again. And often it, it happens, right? It happens in families that make bad decisions. And the trajectory we would expect is for her to say something like, I'm going to keep having kids until he starts loving me. If I sleep with him enough, then I'm going to get that approval. If I have enough kids, enough sons, then I'm going to have that approval. If I act in a certain way, wear certain clothes, believe certain things, then I'm going to get that approval. This is surely where Lee's going, but something shifts. Something shifts. She doesn't. She names her son Judah, which means praise. And she declares that she will praise the Lord as he stops having children. 
Now, that's interesting. Why do you think she stops having children? I mean, there's a suggestion in the text that it could be for biological reasons, but she has more kids later. Why does she stop now? I'll tell you why. Because she's not looking for unmet approval anymore. She's not having kids so that someone will love her. She says, this time I will praise the Lord. I know that it's not about whether Jacob loves me. I know it's not about whether I have any more kids. I know it's not about what anybody else says about me. My identity is found in the approval of God. She's a daughter of God and she knows it. She's naming her son praise because praise is the weapon that she is using to find her approval, to find her longing, to find her identity and desire. Come on, and praise is the weapon that we need to start using in this place if we want to crucify our own desperate desire to be approved by those around us. Leah, turn praise into a weapon. Don't ever underestimate what you can do with praise. Don't ever underestimate. Leah finds out and holds on to for the first time in her life that she is a daughter of God and that is all she needs. And if you never come back to church, well, don't do that. (laughs) But if you never do and you get nothing else out of this message, know this, you're enough. God right now. You're a beloved son. You're a beloved daughter. You are exactly who you need to be for God to work with you. That's all you need to be. You don't need others to approve of you. And in fact, if you're a Christian, you're going to have to get used to people not approving of you. That's part of the Christian life. If everyone approves of you, maybe you're not living it out very well. Just a thought. But God does. You have value You have merit, you have worth, and you have purpose. And when you know where your approval comes from, then you can make praise your weapon. You can say that in each and every circumstance, I can praise. It doesn't matter what I've been put in. It doesn't matter what is happening to me. It doesn't matter how I feel. I can praise because if everything else is taken away, I still have Jesus. And this is how the martyrs and great Christians of history are able to praise in prison. This is how Paul and Silas break the walls of the jail down. This is how Peter breaks out of prison. This is how people throughout history have done it. This is how martyrs have stared death in the face because they have Jesus and you can't crucify praise. You can't do it. When you lift up praise in your life, that can't be crucified. He's good, isn't it? You can't crucify praise. They can take your tongue, but they can't take your spirit. They can't. And it doesn't matter what you did the previous time. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who you slept with. It doesn't matter what exam you failed. It doesn't matter how hammered you got last night. It doesn't matter what drugs you took, what your parents said about you, what you look at in the mirror. None of that matters if you can put your trust in Christ and pick up the approval that he has for you and make praise your weapon. It doesn't matter what happened to Leah. Oh, I failed. Oh, I failed. Oh, I failed. Oh, I failed. Every time I'm looking for approval. I'm looking for approval. I'm looking for approval. But this time, this time I will praise the Lord. It doesn't matter what happens before that. This time, this time I will choose to praise the Lord. Your past is not what God's worried about. Some of you right now, you haven't come into church much because you think that God is furious about your past. He's not. He's not furious about your past, but he's thrilled about your future. Don't worry about what happened in your past. That's in the past. Put it behind you. Run towards Jesus who is calling you into a glorious future. 
And don't tell me that praise doesn't make a difference, because here's what happens. Judah, fourth child of Jacob. He's not the firstborn son. There's nothing particularly special about him, except he was earmarked out for praise. Here's what happens to Judah. The tribes of Israel get more and more faithless to God. And so God separates them, and Judah is by themselves because they are the most faithful to God. And out of that, God says, I'm going to prepare for you a king who will be the greatest king you've ever had. And King David comes out of that line, the greatest king of Israel from the line of Judah, out of a position of praise. Out of David, what happens? A guy called Jesus ends up coming from this one decision. This time, this time, despite what's happened in the past, I will praise the Lord. And Jesus comes from that. Amazing. Never underestimate how praise can change your future. We look for approval from the wrong places, but Leah worked it out eventually. Praising God became her weapon to overcome her desire for approval. It'll work for you too. She eventually says, God, I don't want to be defined by who others think I am or even who I think I am, but who you say I am. I want to be defined in my identity by who you say I am, by your promises and guarantees, not by what others think about me. She overcomes. So the question again, who are you trying to impress today? Who are you trying to impress? I want to give you four ideas of who you might be trying to impress, and then we're going to finish up in a few minutes. Never trust a preacher who says we're about to finish. If we haven't made the decision to put God at the center of our identity, chances are we're trying to win the approval of one of these four people. Here's the first group. Our peers or society or the culture around us, okay? Don't get your approval from the culture around you. Here's why. Because culture changes consistently and it puts parameters around what it approves, but those parameters change. So you're playing with different goalposts all the time, especially nowadays. You don't want to write a bad tweet in 2010 and have it come up eight years later because you'll be booted off a movie franchise. That's the thing that happened this week, right? And it happens like every day. Everyone is getting crucified for stuff that happened way back in their past. I read a tweet last year about Mel Gibson, um, oh, it was something he was directing, and they said, I cannot believe he's been given a chance to direct a movie. I was like, when was that anti-Semitic stuff? And I Googled it. It was 10 years ago. 10 years ago. And these people, this was not someone anonymous, this was like a prominent public figure, were saying, don't give them another chance. 10 years, nothing. Get rid of them. Destroy them. This is why you can't trust culture. Here's another reason you should never let culture be what defines your sense of self-approval. Because culture can be objectively wrong. Let me give you an example. In Australian culture, it is totally acceptable to take a sickie. To go, ah, I'm just going to have a bit of a cheeky, cheeky break, have a sneaky, sneaky day away from work today. Maybe there's the cricket on. I <laughs> hope I don't get on camera. Oh, maybe I'm a bit hungover from yesterday. It's all right. I, no, it's not. Can I tell you? It's stealing. You're stealing. It's objectively wrong. Objectively. It's not like, well, maybe for you it's wrong. No, you're stealing from somebody that you have promised to work for. It's objectively wrong. I'm not saying don't take sick days. Like, if you're sick, please take a sick day. I'm not saying don't take mental health days. That is different. And you know the difference if you've ever taken a sickie just for the sake of it, don't you? I'm saying there are some times when Aussie culture 
says things are okay, but actually objectively they are not. Don't even get me started on stuff that's subjectively wrong. So don't get your approval from something that changes all the time. Get your approval from God. Here's the second one. Parents, parents, don't get your approval from your parents. I, I find this so sad. My heart breaks for people that continue to try and get approval, fight approval for approval from their parents. Because I've got to tell you something. You should not have to fight for this. You should naturally inherit love and approval. Naturally. You should have to fight for pride. Okay, You can't just walk into pride. And you have to fight, yes, for happiness. Parents aren't always going to be happy with you. That's okay. But you should not try to earn what you are meant to be given, what you are meant to inherit. The love and approval of your parent is your inheritance. And if it's not being given to you, stop fighting. I'm not saying don't, I'm not saying give up the relationship. I'm saying don't put your approval in there. Don't rely on someone else's approval to shape who you are, okay? Never, never do that. You can't earn what you're meant to inherit. And God the Father, you've already been approved. Don't get your approval from your parents. Here's a big one. Your significant other or your partner. Don't get your approval from your relationship. I spent so many years as a youth pastor and the amount of teenagers who come in and they're like, oh, I know, I, I know that maybe this relationship isn't a good idea, but they're a really nice person. I'm like, okay, you can just stop there. That's fine. I know I can write the rest of this script. It's fine. Just don't do it. If you're already second guessing it, why are you in it? If they're encouraging you to do stuff you're not comfortable with, why are you in it? Now, that's the sort of obvious stuff. Let me take it up a level, though, in that there's a lot of people who they just put their partner or their significant other in place of God in their relationship. It's not that God isn't in it. It's that they've mixed them up and that God comes second and their partner comes first. And you can't work that way. It's totally unfair for two reasons. One, your partner cannot live up to those expectations. They can't. And so you're putting them in the perspective of God. And as soon as they do anything which is imperfect to you, suddenly everything's ruined. Because you've set them up to fail. But you've also set yourself up to fail. You're destined to fail when you do that. You can't do that. It's too much pressure on them. Guarantees failure for you. Now, lest you think I'm just being mean to people in relationships and causing you all to second guess the relationship, which I'm not trying to do, okay? I'm not necessarily saying get out of your relationship. What I'm saying is this. Think very carefully about where your approval rests, okay? Marriages. I know plenty of people in marriages where they would say something like, I would die without this person. You know, plenty of people in relationships, they would say, without this person, I would die. Can I tell you what God wants you to say? It's not that I die without you. It's that I would die for you. Because my Jesus, my Savior came and died for me. The way I understand being served, the way I understand being loved is that my Savior came and died for me, on behalf of me, because he didn't need my approval. He didn't need my affection. He didn't need my thumbs up to keep going. He was already God. He was already fully approved. So he died for me on my behalf. And so the way I understand how I live in relationship is that I love God so much that I can lay down my life for you because I, don't, I love you, but I don't need your approval. I'm fully approved with or without you. That's how we have to live. It's not about not loving that person. It's about not letting them shape their character. Because what do you do if your partner is wrestling with mental health and they go through a season 
where all they can do is be negative and you go, oh, they don't approve of me. Oh, I don't know what I can do. Yes, you do. You're fully approved by Jesus. You don't need to worry about that. Your character, your sense of self and identity is caught up in Christ. Here's the last one. This is the most insidious one of all. Don't get your approval from yourself. Okay? Moana was wrong. Sometimes you look inside yourself and you don't find more. You just find more anxiety. Because you set the bar so freaking high that there's no way anyone can reach it. I don't know if I'm resonating with anyone in this room. This is the one that I wrestle with, where I set the bar too high, impossibly high, and then when I don't reach it, I beat myself up for it. Anybody else know that feeling? And Christ says, this, you've really missed it, haven't you? I took the bar away. There's no bar. You're fully approved. There's nothing you can do or say or behave to make you more loved. You are in Christ. You are fully approved. Now get down off the cross because we can use the wood for something better. Okay, stop trying to martyr yourself. It's already been done. It's already been done. And the beauty of that is it means you can forgive yourself. You can forgive yourself for all the times you think you've stuffed up, all the times you think you've gone too far, all the times you just think you've ruined someone else's life or ruined your own. You haven't. There's a fresh start with Christ every day. So who are you really trying to impress? If your worth is not based on who you think you are, but it's based on God's, who God says you are, not on who others think you are, but on who God says you are, I guess the big question is, what does God say we are? What does God say we are? Well, let's go through a few of them. Here are some things God says, just a few, in the New Testament. 2 Corinthians 5.17, you're a new creation in Christ. The old is gone, the new has come. You don't need to worry about that anymore. You're new in Christ. Ephesians 1.7 says, You are forgiven and your sins are washed away. No matter what you've done, no matter how dirty you feel, God says that doesn't matter. Your sins are gone. I remember them no more. Matthew 5.14, Jesus said, You, you, not Jesus, you are the light of the world. Whoa. In a world full of darkness, you are the one that goes in and shares light. He said to that to them before that he died on the cross. He saw the potential in them before he ever did, they did, ever did anything to earn it. Even in belief, he said, you are the light of the world. Go and step into that destiny. Ephesians 2.10, God says, you are my masterpiece. You're created in Christ Jesus to do these good works that I prepared for you. Romans 8.11 said that you are filled with the same spirit that raised Christ from the dead within you. The very same Spirit of God that was inside Jesus is inside you. And Jesus says you'll do even more than He did. Romans 8, 17 says you're a joint heir with Christ. Remember what I said about inheritance. Don't try and earn what you should inherit. You've already inherited it in Christ. You don't have to fight for it. 2 Corinthians 5, 20 says this. You are Christ's ambassador. What's an ambassador? It's the highest ranking diplomat from one nation to another. That's you. You're the highest ranking diplomat sent from heaven to earth to declare the glory of God and point back people into, his, into a relationship with Him. You don't have to fight for that anymore. It's already been won. Hallelujah. And then 2 Corinthians 5.21, right after that, says you are the righteousness of God in Christ. And Romans 1.7 says this so simply, you are greatly loved by God. Greatly loved by God. Last one, 
Romans 12, 2, one of the most popular quoted verses in the Bible, it says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, which means the things around you, the things you see, don't feel like you're trapped in a pattern where you're stuck and you have to do what the world says, but actually be transformed. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. And Paul, as he writes this, goes on to say, that's actually an act of worship. But Romans 12, 2 doesn't make any sense without Romans 12, 1 before it. Now, this is so good. What does Romans 12, 1 say? Paul writes this, I, Therefore, I urge you, my sisters, my brothers, in view of God's mercy, present yourself as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Paul is saying this, that, when it all comes down to it, you need to lay your ego down, lay it down at the altar of God. Lay your life down before God and say, God, I have been looking for love in all the wrong places. I've been trying to get approval from the culture around me, from my parents, from a significant other, from the feelings that I chase, even from myself, and it hasn't worked. God, I lay it down before you. I'm at the foot of the altar. I want my identity to be found in you. I can't do it on my own anymore. I can't try and be everything. And some of you here tonight are God's calling home. You've never done that before. You've never done what Paul says when he says, I've been crucified with Christ and it's no longer Christ, it's no longer I who live anymore, but actually Jesus, it's the Christ who lives in me. And for some of you tonight, God's calling you home. Either because you've never had that moment before where you said, actually, I, Mike, I do need to give my life to Jesus. I have been running around looking for peace. I've been flying the globe trying to find myself. How's that going? Christ has been here all along, calling you home, saying, it doesn't matter what your past is about. I want to point you to the future I have for you. Just find your approval in me. Some of you, are, uh, for the first time, need to make this decision tonight, and the Spirit is speaking to you. And some of you, you've made that decision before, but it's just been such a long time since you've been vulnerable with God. And you, and you just feel like, you come to church because this is a thing you do and, and maybe actually this is the first time you've been in church in ages and you, and you feel just a bit shattered and like, oh, you've been yelling at me all night, great. I don't, don't feel any more approved. Sorry, forget me. Don't worry about it. This is between you and Jesus. It doesn't matter how long you've been away. In fact, it doesn't matter if you're a, somebody who's been in church every week and you feel passionate, but maybe you just feel dry and you know actually you haven't had a soft heart for a while. And I want to encourage you. Maybe tonight's your night just to respond to God again, to say, God, fill me with your Holy Spirit. Help me lay down my whole life before you. I just want to pray for a moment.